The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is Professor of Public Policy at Claremont Graduate University. Um, she has been researching, writing, and consulting in the domain of Native American voting rights over the past decade. Her uh, just-published book, Voting in Indian Country, The View from the Trenches, grew out of this work. Her name is uh, Jean Reith Schrodel. I believe I pronounced that right, but she joins me by phone and she can correct me. Um, Hi, Jean. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And yes, you did get it correct. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Good, because I'm usually just terrible with names. But uh, but let's talk about this book. Right, right off the bat, when I saw the title, Voting in Indian Country, two things came to mind, and, and they're both sort of embarrassing. Um, one is, it had never occurred to me that indigenous people living on reservations would be voting in American elections. I don't know why. That just seems, it's embarrassing. The other is the phrase Indian country, which I thought we had pretty much retired. Okay. Those are great ways to start the conversation, Tom. Thank you. Okay. First, with your respect to Native American people on reservations voting, let me take a moment and explain citizenship. And it's, I know I sound professorial here, so give me give me a moment. No, but that's an interesting part of it because, you know, despite all of the, the negotiations between the U.S. federal government and, and various uh, Native American tribes over, you know, decades and decades, it wasn't until the last century that that American citizenship was even considered, right? Bingo. American citizenship was uh, the 1924 Indian Citizenship Act. And so you and I, even though you may not have ever thought of this, we are dual citizens. Didn't think of that before, did you? No. 
okay? And most people don't because we think, well, I'm a U.S. citizen. But legally, we are both citizens of the U.S. government and the states where we live. And that Uh. citizenship, we have different rights in each kind of citizenship, which, by the way, the state citizenship allowed for the refusal to allow women to vote, even though they were considered citizens in much of the 19th century until we got, obviously, to 1920 in some states, because that was viewed as a right of state citizenship. Now, the difference is for people who are members of a federally recognized tribe, so that includes some people who don't just live on reservations, they have a third kind of citizenship, which is the tribal citizenship. Not a whole lot different than us if we think of ourselves, speaking for myself here as a non-native person, that I have dual citizenship. Well, they have three levels of citizenship, and it's related to the kinds of treaties and agreements that were made between those nations and the U.S. government. And you just said you just said a word that's that's kind of important to uh, uh, unpack a little bit is um, nations. Uh, you know, I was I was taught that um, the the quote reservations were independent nations, and that it it really in modern times really compares more to separate states than separate nations, doesn't it? Well, yes and no. Okay, let me let me step back a okay. little bit because. My ancestors came to this country. Supposedly, my family goes back to the Mayflower one part, not the German part, obviously. I have that same. I have that. I have that same rumor in my family on my mother's okay. side. Okay. Okay. Hey, mine was on my dad on my mother's side also. But when Europeans came to this continent, there were nations. I mean. And some of them were very, very powerful native nations. Um, And it was interesting because Europeans did not want to consider these people to have nations, so they called them tribes. So the term tribe somehow inculcates with it a sense of lesser status. But the United States government, and before that, the colonial governments, said signed treaties with these groups, with these nations, just like they signed treaties with France. But somehow the term tribe makes it feel like they're less real. Um, And so we had actually one of the things that, and again, I apologize that I sound like a professor. I can't help it. Um, (laughs) We are what we are, Jean. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) In the 1820s, 1830s, the Supreme Court and the court rulings, they're called the Marshall Trilogy, are still um, determine relations between the U.S. government and these tribal nations, which they labeled them domestic dependent nations, said, well, you're not really nations like France, but you're not, well, you're not something other than a nation. So it's this bizarre sort of intermediate space that they, that these um, domestic dependent nations or sovereign nations, native nations. People use all kinds of different terms, but it's a very unique space, and there is literally nothing comparable, I think, any place else in the world. 
so. And and I knew that various tribes have tribal leadership and that there are elections within their uh, reservations um, for elected uh, officials, representatives, and, and leaders and so on. Um, and, I, and I guess that's part of why um, voting in American elections had never really even occurred to me. And, and again, I, I express some embarrassment for not knowing that. But I'm also curious, and we kind of skipped over it a little bit, but easy to do because we had these bigger things, but the term Indian, where did that come from? Okay, because you, you started with um, voting in Indian country, the title. Yeah. And that is a legal term, okay? So it is a legal term that is used to apply to uh, tribal lands. And I know there but, are some tribes that still use it in their names. Okay. You Absolutely. know, it's the such-and-such such Indian tribe. Yes, and the other piece is it's a colloquial term that Native people use to apply more broadly to areas where there are large numbers of Native people. So it's a, it's a legal term, it's a colloquial term, and it's a term separate from, when you say Indian country, separate than saying Indian or American Indian, although the Census Department uses American Indian, Alaska Native. So it's, it's one of those interesting little things um, most people who are of Native descent still regularly use the term Indian or American Indian, although I would say younger people and the term that is gaining most, I think, credence or use um, is Native. Um, differentiating it between Native American, which could simply apply to anyone who was born in the United States. I'm a Native American. I was born here. The term native or indigenous. Uh, but this, it's, it's in one of that space where different people use different terms. Now, there are clearly terms that are completely inappropriate. Um, I will say this. Um, Michigan, I, was, I looked up the other day and... I read an article, I have to say I'm not an expert on Michigan, but I read an article, fairly recent article that said there's still three dozen schools in Michigan that use mascot names that are related to Native Americans, including one that uh, evidently uses the terms that was still the um, term that the Washington football team no longer uses, which is very derogatory. Does that and you're, help and you're talking about and you're talking about redskins. Yep. And and yep. that is a phrase that people are familiar with because of sports teams. When I was in high school, I, I was a, a central marching Indian. I was in. I was <laughs> our our team were the Indians, and um, uh -huh. and that was. Uh, in in fact, the junior high school I went to were the Braves. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, and and that has been a typical thing in Michigan, yeah. and there are still, you know, some of those uh, those types of of um, names that exist. And I think a lot of us grew up never thinking about any of these, both terms, 
phrases with never thinking where they came from or were they derogatory. I mean, the one I remember saying oftentimes was, you know, you don't want to go off the reservation, meaning, you know, that's an that's that's a topic or something you shouldn't do. And I, it never crossed my head until you know, until a few years ago that when many of these individual, when many of these people were confined to reservations, they were not allowed to leave without getting permission from an Indian agent. Uh, so, I mean, that term, that phrase um, is very loaded, and none of us thought about it. I mean, look, I, I am no different than you in that sense, and probably many, many other people, all of these things that we grew up saying without ever realizing they had meaning and they may reinforce um, a kind of racial hierarchy. I've I've always, uh, well, not always, but but for a time, I was uh, sort of connected to the phrase going postal. (laughs) <laughs> as opposed oh, to going off the reservation. <laughs> that can't possibly offend anyone, can it? <laughs> oh, I don't know if you're a postal employee, maybe. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah. just, we um, just have a, uh, a couple of minutes before we go to break, um, but I, I did want to ask um, this idea that... Um, I hear the oh th- today is Columbus Day and <laughs> it and it just seems appropriate that we at least touch on that for a minute are are you in favor of just abolishing Columbus Day as a holiday or renaming it as some have suggested indigenous people's day I mean I actually read something that said your state Michigan has relabeled it as indigenous people's day um, I don't know the list. I, I I saw a list of fourteen states that it included Michigan, but you probably know more than me about that. Um, yeah, I think it's appropriate for all of us to acknowledge that there were people before Europeans arrived here. Um, we have the sixteen nineteen project that is suggesting that um, schools put the impact of slavery front and center because 1619 was when the first slaves arrived in this con- in what is now the United States. But we tend to forget that there were millions of people living in what is now the lower 48 states before my ancestors, you know, on the maternal side and your maternal side arrived. And whether it replaces Columbus Day, you know, basically I I don't care personally, but it needs recognition. I've I've heard people say that it's difficult to discover someplace where people already live. Kind of, kind of takes the wind out of Christopher Columbus's sails, I think. Anyway, we need to uh, take a short break here, but Gene, uh, you're going to stick around so we can talk some more. Hello, darling. This is Elvira. Great. We'll be right back.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodin flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Sumner Program.com 
this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we continue now with my conversation with the author of a new book called Voting in Indian Country, The View from the Trenches by Jean Reith Schrodel. And Jean joins me by phone. Jean, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sure. Happy to do so. Um, Jean, the... Um, in the last segment, we t- we touched on this uh, issue a little bit, but now we can turn a little bit more to the book. Um, the idea that you can be an American citizen and not have the right to vote. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I I don't mean. I mean, yeah. We've we've had a long history in this country of people struggling to expand the franchise and. Right now, at this point, no group of people in the United States um, who are citizens are statutorily denied the right to vote based on race or biological sex. But we've got a lot of other barriers that make it more difficult for some people to vote. Um, and we, most of us are pretty aware, and I'm sure in Flint a lot of people are very aware of the kind of struggles that African Americans have um, undergone to be able to access the ballot. But very few people, unless you live near a reservation or a large Native community, know about what's gone on with Native Americans. I mean, can you imagine, Tom, in the primary that we just had, one Alaskan village, the state forgot about them. They never even sent ballots in the primary to this village. A disenfranchising in one foul swoop, 150 people just forgotten. And, and in some ways that's, um, I think, emblem, emblematic, I think I said that right, of how easy it is for the rest of us to forget Native Americans. Well, as I mentioned right off, it would not have occurred to me to, you know, our, our polling places set up um, near uh, Native American populations, whether they live on reservations or not. Um, I, yeah. I, I'm afraid that I, you know, I that that I would accidentally not include a, a reservation like the the little village in uh, Alaska. I mean, it's it's so easy for the rest of us to forget, but it's incredibly important. Um, yeah, and sometimes it's purposeful, or certainly appears to be purposeful. So Pima County, Arizona, um, Pima County um, took steps. In fact, they doubled between 2016 and 2020 the election. Now they doubled early voting sites in the county, which you would all say, yay, good for Pima County. But they removed the only one that was on the Pascua Yankee Reservation. And if you look at the map, there's this huge spot where no one can vote, and that's Pascua Yankee and the areas surrounding it. Or they would have to travel a distance. Or right now, we're in COVID, as you know, um, we can't avoid it. I wish we could. Oh, Lord. Um, but it's affecting Nevada. everything. Yeah. I mean, I have not been, aside from the grocery store, I've been locked in my house since early March because I'm an old lady, right? Um, 
anyhow, leaving that aside, but um, you think about the Navajo Nation, which the size of the Navajo Reservation is larger than the state of West Virginia. There are a grand total in that whole state for voting by mail, 40 places that you can vote by mail, use, use voting by mail. And the thing is, on most reservations, there's no home mail delivery, so you have to go to a post office. West Virginia, I said it was bigger than West Virginia. West Virginia has 725 post offices. There's well, one... Let me, let me ask this. Michigan does something um, that our Secretary of State here, when you go to the uh, Secretary of State's office to renew your driver's license, mm -hmm. you are systematically asked if you're registered to vote and if you'd yeah. like to register to vote. And so I would, I would suggest that, that the rate of people in Michigan... Um, that are registered to vote is pretty high. You know, I think they're very effective um, at, at mm -hmm. getting people to register to vote. But what about driver's licenses for, for Native Americans and, um, you know, I, and the process of registering to vote? Do people remember to, you know, get to the schools where there are large populations of uh, indigenous people uh, attending school and, and 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 encourage them to register the vote or register to vote when they come of age. I mean, look, everything varies across the states, but the registering when you go to renew your driver's license, that is something that was passed by the National Voter Registration Act, federal law that says at all of these public um service entities, the DMV, um, social service entities, people are to be given the opportunity, encouraged to vote or to register to vote. Um, right now, I can tell you that is, there is a court case right at this moment in South Dakota because the Rosebud and Oglala Sioux say that they do not do this in South Dakota on their reservations now. Um, even though that's required by federal law. Um, the other piece that comes in is think about it. You have to, if you're talking about the DMV, you have to be able to get to the DMV, um, which most of us, it may be an unpleasant going to the DMV, <laughs> right? Waiting in line and all of that. But um, in many places, there are not... Um, DMV locations near reservations. North Dakota, that got a lot of publicity in 2018, um, and I'll, I come back to that later about issue, other issues affecting um, Native American voting in North Dakota, but one of the things that it did was it shut down um, most of the DMVs that were anywhere near reservations, and they said it was due to save money, but they did not shut them down in other places that had lower populations that were heavily white. Um, it's kind of hard to think that at least in some places. Some places, I think people just don't think of the Native population. In other places, I think it's purposeful. 
you know, I'm curious about uh, what things are like in the Southwest. Um, I remember many, many years ago, this is probably 40-plus years ago, <laughs> taking a, a family vacation and, and traveling out west via Route 66 and mm -hmm. traveling through some of the southwestern states, there was this this culture made up of Mexican and Native American and Europeans blended very peacefully. But during recent controversies about immigration, um, it, it seems to have changed. Has, has that change affected Native Americans living in those regions the same way it has uh, Hispanics? Wow. That, 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 there's a lot in that question. By the way, I live right off Route 66, but in California. <laughs> but, um, which, which, which is the destination. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but there's also an earthquake fault line there, too. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting, the relationships that people have, because what you were talking about is what typically is called border towns, which might be those towns where you have European, people of European descent, you have Latinos, you may have Native Americans. Um, the sense that one might get, I hate to say this, as a tourist, and the sense that one has there may be completely different. Um, in terms of the kinds of relations is interesting. Um, the 1965 Voting Rights Act was, 1964 Voting Rights Act, sorry. Um, it was, no, 65, boy, I'm losing it this morning. 1965 Voting Rights Act. 64 was, was the not, Civil Rights Act. Yes, yeah, sorry. 1965 Voting Rights Act. For the first 10 years, many people thought it did not apply to Native Americans. And it was argued back and forth, and the idea was, well, maybe it only applies to African Americans. But the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, in 19, leading up to 1975, to the renewal of the uh, act, parts of which are non-permanent, they looked into issues affecting Native Americans and they discovered that they looked in two places in particular as being particularly egregious. Um, South Dakota, which is often called the Mississippi of the North, and Arizona. And the cases in these two places were at least as bad as the things people were finding from the South um, in terms of the disenfranchisement, in terms of um, literacy tests and all of these things, refusing to register, allow people to register who lived on reservations. Uh, South Dakota uh, was equally bad to Arizona. So they brought in those and convinced the rest of Congress and the country that the Voting Rights Act did indeed apply to Native Americans. So what you may have seen driving probably was not um, 
not a reflection of the totality. Um, is that a fair fair way to say it? Yeah. Um, and border towns still are places where there's a lot of tension oftentimes. Um, the, uh, we also are very aware at this moment, and probably your listeners um, incredibly aware, of incidents where police use lethal force and result in deaths, uh, particularly of black men. Um, border towns have very bad reputations in terms of those kinds of actions with respect to Native Americans. Um, and I'm not saying that every time a police officer shoots someone and they die that it's you know, murder or, you know, because these are oftentimes complicated situations, but very, very bad histories um, with incidents. Um, I can think of one along the border in, in Arizona involved um, someone, a woman stole a bottle of beer from a mini mart grocery store, one of those little convenience stores. And the clerk called the police. And the police came and they were looking for a Native American woman. And they um, saw a woman. It's not even clear that she was the person who took the bottle of beer. And she was shot. She had no weapons, and she was shot. And this occurred during the end of the Obama years, and the Justice Department under um, President Obama was investigating this. Um, she died as a um, civil rights violation. And when the new administration came in, they dropped that investigation. Um, but again, very few of the cases where lethal force is used and the person who dies is Native American, it is quite unusual for those stories to get picked up by the media. Um, they typically will occur in rural areas, in small towns, in these border towns, and a long ways away from media notice. If something happens, I mean, I'm in the greater LA area. Anything happens there, you know, the press is all over it. Everybody knows. You can't ignore it. But when something happens in a rural, little rural town, um, in the middle of what we think of as God knows where, it gets it gets lost. Um, well. Let me let me just say um, I'm talking with Jean Schrodel. She's the author of Voting in Indian Country. Jean, um, I read somewhere that few, if any, scholars are studying Indian voting um, the way that you are. Um, how how did how did it end up on your radar? How did you get interested in this? You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, um, there's. There's maybe three of us total, okay? I mean, I think I think it's three at this moment. And it, when you were talking earlier, Tom, when you were saying about how you'd never thought of any of these things, hey, I was no different. 
I want to be really clear. I, Jeff, I, what happened with me is I had a student who was a Native American man from, his name is Darren Marquez. He was from the San Manuel uh, Band of Mission Indians, using the word Indian again, um, which is in their title. And I teach American politics. I have been teaching American politics for 30 years. Well, I hadn't been 30 then, but 20 then. And Darren came up to me and he said, well, how come, how come you're not dealing with my people? And I knew his name was Marquez. I thought he was Latino. And he explained that he was Native and there were many, many issues, particularly around voting. And he was saying, hey, these are things just like what the South in the 50s and 60s and nobody's paying attention and you do American politics. Why aren't you doing something? It was like, wow, a wake-up call. And... Again, to be honest, I thought, okay, I would write a little article. Just just do a little, just put a little <laughs> toe in there. And, yeah, and I was like, Al's falling down the rabbit hole. It was, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I, I, it's just the, the things that I have seen have taken my breath away. Um, some of these are in the book. I want to be clear, and I did these wonderful oral histories with people. That's why the title has View from the Trenches and the voices of you know, the Native people who are involved in this struggle. So it's been a collaborative process in that sense. But part that isn't in the book, um, at least very little, is some of the things that I experienced traveling to some of these places. And, uh, you know, I never thought, I never thought in the 2000s that in, when I was off reservation that I had to look for what was called an Indian-friendly cafe to eat, that you do not go to certain places if you are Native. I thought we were past that. Um, I, I was shocked when I was told that most counties or states give separate drivers um, uh, car license of uh, the license plates with separate numbers for reservations so they can identify cars that come off the reservation. And I literally have been to one place where the border, this was in Montana, where there was a river that divided the reservation and the off-reservation in the county. And a FBI agent who was Native American and told me that if you drove across there with a car with a Native license plate with numbers from a Native, you would get stopped, and they would find a reason to impound your car. And he told me about his experience and that the only way he got out of it was showing his FBI card. And I went there, and I did. I saw, I drove rental vehicle, you know, without the um, license plate that showed it was reservation um, and shiny bright white skin. But I came up, 
and I saw all these cars parked on the reservation side. And then I went across, and I, I spent time sitting in a cafe watching, and I saw all these, these people, they would come up to the border, park their cars, walk, and it would be, I don't know, a quarter mile or so to a gas station, to a grocery store. I saw one family. I watched them go. They were a man, a woman, a little boy, and a red wagon. And they went They went to wherever they went, and then I saw them coming back, and it looked like they had groceries and had put gas in a gas can. And they were walking back, pulling the wagon with this little boy. While I was sitting in the cafe, and and I, I spoke with the waitress, and I said, what is this? Because part of what I do is you do soaking and poking and try to get people to tell you things. I said, what is that? And she said, well, that's what it means to be an Indian in America. And I looked at her, and I said, not everywhere. And she just shook her head like, you know, you silly tourist. Um, this is not... This is not what I think our America is supposed to be. Um, Gina, unfortunately, sorry. we have to uh, we have to wrap it up because we just have a couple minutes left. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know who may want to know more about what we've been talking about. Um, what some good resources are. Obviously, Gene uh, Schrodel's book, Voting in Indian Country, The View from the Trenches, is a great place to start. But are there some good resources for people to learn more about what's happening? Do you have a website, for example? I don't. I'm an old lady. I don't <laughs> do all that techie stuff, okay? I, I just, I will admit it, all right? But... There's some wonderful online resources. Um, there's a group called the Native American Rights Fund, NARF, and they have several publications, um, most of which were done through something called the Native American Voting Rights Coalition that NARF is part of. So I was part of, um, held here, we held hearings across the United States. You can find material from the hearings that we held. We did surveys in um, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, and South Dakota. Um, and so materials, you can find a lot of that at NARF, Native American Rights Fund. You can also find more if you look at the website of NACAI, North American Congress of American Indians. And then finally, let me give a shout out. There is a group that is a grassroots group called Four Directions out of Mission, South Dakota. They literally do the organizing, registering, get out the vote um, from North Carolina, Minnesota. They're right there right now registering people working in Arizona and the Dakotas, Montana. Four Directions website. There's some wonderful... I mean, I am so fortunate in terms of the people who I've been able to work with and get to know. Well, Jean, thanks so much for spending this time and sharing this information with us. Uh, we're, we're out of time, but it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure on my hey. part, too. Take care. This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now.
and now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed Achoo. or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila!
get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Wash my hands, I don't touch my face, I stay at home, shelter in place. Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves Stay away from church I avoid old folks And should I sneeze I do it in my elbow Or up my sleeve Six feet I immediately apologize. 
soon as I regained consciousness. Savior, and I love us too. 
that's all I'm doing. So see ya. Our home street. Wow, just wow. <laughs> that was actually kind of courtesy of YouTube, I found. The worst church singer ever. I promised there'd be some new offerings during our various uh, days of the month in October when we celebrate Schlocktober 2020. And uh, that certainly qualifies as an odd or and or horrible recording. Um, and and we do that each and every day while everyone else is celebrating Rocktober and Shocktober. We celebrate Schlocktober on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, boy, do we nail it with that one. Anyway, uh, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. But what a... Uh, what a great show, and it went flying by. I want to say thanks uh, again to my guest this past hour, Gene Schrodel, author of uh, Voting in Indian Country, The View from the Trenches. And, of course, uh, before that, we talked with um, Valerie Tripp, an award-winning author and girl power expert, about a book that looks like it's going to be a... Uh, new STEM-based uh, fiction series from National Geographic Kids. The first title uh, in the book, Izzy, or in the series, Izzy Newton and the Smart Squad Absolute Zero. And uh, we also talked with um, David Pinsky, author of a report from Greenpeace USA called uh, Reusables Are Doable. And uh, that was kind of an interesting conversation. Plus our conversation with uh, Tora as well. I want to say thanks to all the guests and to everybody tuning in. Um, you're going to get a little break from Schlocktober tomorrow because we have a repeat show that was uh, recorded earlier in the year when we weren't doing Schlocktober. But um, we'll be back to our daily installments of Schlocktober on Wednesday. Plus our uh, our weekly uh, weekly roundtable with uh, Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. So be sure and tune in Wednesday for that. Plus my uh, guest in the nine o'clock hour will be talking about his book Barnstorming Ohio. Anyway, that wraps it up for today. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.